But we're going to walk through and hit the highlights of the Bible study method that I mentioned before that Brother Stacy Ferguson uh, does, and in the way I do it now, I think he did an excellent job the way he did it. And not having a lot of experience with Bible, personal Bible studies prior, especially prior to some of the mission trips, uh, when I saw how he was doing it, I wanted. To, I thought that was a great way to do it. Anytime you see someone doing a great job with it, uh, nothing wrong with with learning from what, how they do it. Uh, now he begins with Bible authority, which of course is a great place to begin. I think that makes a lot of sense because you have to set the tone uh, for the study. So anything that you do, uh, you know, I think you have to be able to make sure you cover certain things before you move on because if not later down the road it can pop back up and it's easier to have studied to talk about beforehand than to say we'll get to that here in a little bit or in our next study or something. Though that can happen uh, still, but I think uh, beginning with Bible authority is a great place to, to start. And he begins with looking at 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17. Now, as I mentioned before, I don't plan to go through all his eight or so lessons. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot about Bible authority and how he talks about it and a few other things. And then I'm just going to start hitting some highlights because you'll have these notes because um, we don't want to just go through the whole study, uh, all eight lessons. But you'll have these and we'll hit the highlights uh, this evening. But he begins with Bible authority, uh, looking at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And again, I think it's important to have the person you're studying with to to read the scripture. Uh, if you need to help them find it, that's fine. Uh, but but uh, if they are comfortable reading, um, allow them to read it. If they're not comfortable with reading, you read it aloud, and then uh, ask you know some questions and and you know go forward from there. But Second Timothy three verses sixteen and seventeen, we know the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions, and for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God may be may be perfect, as the King James says, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so, you can walk through there, and as he has in his notes, talking about how all means, he says no more, meaning it's not anything beyond the scriptures, but all meaning all the scriptures that that we have, the Bible is inspired of God, the scriptures, that is, uh, the writings. And we have some examples of God's word recorded. He he mentioned several here, and uh, he goes to Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, and then he goes to the New Testament and Second Peter, and also the Book of John. And so he he's walking them through the how, and it begins with showing that the scriptures are from God. They are they are. We could also talk about inspiration. And he mentions here, as as I would mention as well, that it's God-breathed. The word inspiration literally means it's God-breathed. So you, we can see the scriptures bear out that the word of God, that all the scriptures are breathed out by God. And they are profitable, that is, they are good for something, that is, doctrine, which tells man what is right. Reproof, that is, tells man when he is not right. Correction, tells man how to get right. Instruction, tells man how to stay right. And then complete, that is, we do not need anything else. So those verses, that verse there, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and verse 17, uh, those verses, we can break those down, and we can see and explain to them that all the Scripture is given by God. And so it's not, when we when we are going to buy, as we're going to talk about here later, we encourage people to follow the Bible, 
We're not following men's ideas. We're following God's teachings, God's word, because all the scripture is given by uh, God. They are read out by God. That's what inspiration means. And we see what they're profitable for, so therefore we should follow God's word. And then he goes to second Tim or excuse me, he goes to second Peter chapter one in verse three. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some of these things on these sheets. Uh for instance, I'm gonna cover all this on Bible authority, but then we're gonna have to start hitting some highlights here pretty quick. But in Second Peter one verse three he says, uh, according to his divine according as his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, we see he talks about how all things, that is, we do not need anything else, life and godliness, that is, to have spiritual life and to please God. And we goes, he goes then to John chapter 8, uh, verse 31 and 32. And there the Bible says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if he breaks it down again, he notice he breaks these down, all these verses, which is a great way to to study the, the Bible, is just to simply break down those verses, something I love to do in, in my sermons as well, to break down key verses. He says here, if, and that is, of course, is conditional, it shows it's conditional, truth is God's word. We go to John seventeen seventeen. it tells us that. Free, we see we are free from or free from sin, John eight thirty four, Romans 6, 17 and 18. And then I'm not going to go through the rest of these. We go to John 12, verse 48, talking about how rejecting Christ equals not receiving his words, how we are judged by Christ's words, not man's words. And then he goes to John 14, verse 26, where Jesus is talking to his apostles. He tells them to teach all things. That is nothing else to be taught, no new revelations. And so what we're doing is setting the tone that the Bible is our sole authority. If if we cannot get this point uh, clear and get our prospects to understand that the Bible is our sole source for authority in religion, then I don't think we could go any further. Because uh, if it's not your sole source, what's the point? And so, John sixteen thirteen, he goes to next, uh, God into all truth, whatever he asks or whatever he hears, he will speak. Uh, that is, the Holy Spirit will, or he says, whatever he hears, he will speak. That is the message given to the apostles that so the Holy Spirit was from God. And it's only that message. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Uh, we can turn from the gospel. Man can, but man can only teach what God has, has said in his word. And men teach different things. They'll be accursed. And God's word, his word only, is the authority. That's Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And then you can look at Revelation 22, 18 and 19, where he talks about adding to and taking away and what happens uh, when we do that. And then, so that's his first lesson. Now, of course, uh, we hurried through that, but you could see how you could talk about so much and have a good lengthy discussion on Bible authority uh, just from those eight scriptures he mentions. And you notice uh, everything, when you talk about Bible authority, What's how, how does he talk about it? Well, he uses... He based all his points off of Scripture. Again, his his authority uh, for what he's teaching, uh, he gets that from the Word of God. What he's teaching comes from God's Word. Now, his next lesson is differences between the Old and New Testaments. Differences between the Old and New Testament. He begins with the purpose of the Old Testament. 
And he goes to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. And give me just a moment and I'll get over there. Romans chapter 15. And looking at verse 4. And here the Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so he has, he has this Scripture, and all his headings, or he has several headings that are, that are just Scriptures. And then he, have a, he might have a question, as you'll see later when I, when I send these to you. And then below it he has the Scriptures. So everything is based off the Scriptures. You know, when you go to some, some, some uh, writings and things, they say a lot of stuff, and it'll have one or two scriptures in there. Well, uh, he has scripture throughout all of this, and that's how we want it. That's what we want to do. But he mentions uh, the purpose of the Old Testament. First, he talks about Romans 15, verse 4. Why was the Old Testament written? Uh, he's, we go, we look at the scripture for whatsoever things were written aforetime, that is in the past, were written for our learning. So that's why it was written. And that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And so, so we can learn from them and that we might have hope for the future. That's the, one of the purposes of the Old Testament. And then he, go to, he, then he goes to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. In Galatians 3, in verse 19, the Bible says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression, so the seed should come to whom the promise is made. And it was ordained by the angels in the hand of, the, of a mediator. Now a mediator, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For 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 it there had been a law. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were under, we were kept under the law, shut up under unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So why was the old law given? How long did it last? We see the old law was given until he talks about here in verse four, verse uh, twenty. I lost my place. Until verse 24, he says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, so we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are under no longer under a schoolmaster. So we're, we're under the Old Testament law until what? Until Christ comes and, and we become under the new law. He says, But after that faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. So after Christ has come and died on the cross, we know that after he has died on the cross and risen up to heaven, that we are placed under the New Testament law, beginning in Acts chapter 2, establishment of the church, and the New Testament law uh, begins. Uh, at least that's where I see where it begins. Where the church begins, that's when the New Testament law begins. It comes into effect. Uh, so and he goes on to say, example, a babysitter taking care of kids temporarily. And it's like, you know, they only, the, the caretaker the, or the babysitter only takes care of children until, until when? Until they grow up. And so, uh, we know that we are under the old law, or were under the old law, until Christ came and brought in the new law, and we came into effect, we're no longer under the old law. The Bible also tells us when Christ was nailed to the cross, the old law was also nailed to the cross with him as well. The purpose of the Old Testament was for our learning. Origin of man in the world, we find 
these are he listed several things we have discussed in the Old Testament. Origin of man and the world, only way to understand the New Testament. Uh, learn how God deals with man, learn what God expects and demands, and the scheme of redemption. Uh, these five things he mentions are there under uh, the old law and some things that we can learn from the Old Testament. And then he goes into the he goes into the second point, which is the need for the New Testament. Well, Galatians two, uh, Galatians chapter two and verse sixteen. And here the Bible says, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So law cannot justify us. That is, the law cannot bring us to Christ, cannot bring us to, to God. Christ had to come to, to wash away the sins of all mankind and for all those who are obedient. Galatians 2.21, he says, the law cannot make righteous. In Hebrews 8.6-13, the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Ephesians 2.11-16, Again, he lists that as well. And then he has his third point under differences between the Old and New Testament. When did the New Testament fulfill the Old? And he has several scriptures listed there. And so his first two lessons deal with Bible authority and with the purpose of the Old and New Testament. Uh, now, for some, depending on who you're studying with, uh, you may not have to talk about Bible authority a whole lot, especially if someone who uh, is familiar with the church Maybe they come for a while. They've been coming to services for a while. Now you're sitting there having a Bible study, and you start talking about Bible authority. And they understand pretty quickly that the Bible is our sole source of authority for everything we do in in religion, for everything that we do. And so, if they understand it pretty quickly, then there's no point to just you know beat that into your your head. Keep, keep you know keep uh, kicking the dead horse. You move on to the next one, which is differences between the Old and New Testament. Again, you have those who probably may going to understand this that. We're not under the Old Testament law. Those things are of, of you know old time that we are under the New Testament law, but some are not. So you're going to talk about it and talk about it perhaps even at length, uh, if not because they don't know, but maybe because they're interested in it. And so you can talk about those things. And then in his third lesson, he talks about really what he talks about is the the old te the the prophecies of the church. He begins to talk about the, the church coming into existence, and I'm not going to go through all this because this is. I mean, I think this lesson here that he has probably, depending on who you're talking to, could be several lessons, because he talks about the Old Testament prophecies. Prophecies, and of course, he goes to Isaiah two verses two and three. He goes to Joel two twenty-eight through thirty-two. He also lists Psalms two two and three, and or he lists Psalm two. Verses 2 through 3 and verses 6 through 7. And then you list Daniel 2, verse 28 and 44, dealing with the Old Testament prophecies about the church. And then he begins looking at the New Testament prophecies of the church. And again, you would break these things, the verses down. You could talk about what, what's going on here and how it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And when you're looking at the Old Testament prophecies, you could show how they're, by breaking those verses down, showing how it's being fulfilled in the New Testament. You can make a comparison and see so they can see that the New Testament is fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies concerning the church. But under New Testament prophecies of the church, he mentions Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, Matthew 4, verse 17, uh, both talking about how the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, how Christ said he will build his church, 
one church. Uh, Mark 9, verse 1. Uh, how some will not taste death till they saw the kingdom of God, or yeah, the kingdom of God. And then Luke 24, verse 47, and Acts 8, or excuse me, Acts 1, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 12. And then he has a separate section, uh, or a final section underneath this, with prophecies fulfilled. He begins looking at Acts 2, Acts 8, verses 1 and 4, Acts 10, Colossians 1, 23, and 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Again, you'll have these handouts. Uh, these notes, but you can see where he is talking about the church coming into existence. How the Old Testament talks about, the New Testament talks, is showing its fulfillment, and then he has several other, he has a whole other section talking about how those prophecies are fulfilled. And so that's his third lesson. Uh, his fourth lesson, let's see here how many sheets I have. Okay, I have I have several. I, I'm just looking at these all as separate lessons. And his next one is names and organization of the church. Again, you want to remember that you don't want to go too fast. Uh, Bible authority, for for example, that first lesson. Uh, you know, people don't understand anything on the first in your first study with. With Bible authority, there's still some questions. Don't be afraid to next to come back and talk more about the next time. Don't try to just rush through it and think you have to complete one one uh, you know topic per class because that's not the case. So take your time. As long as you're interested, you don't want to rush through it because then they may become disinterested or uninterested. So his next lesson, he talks about names and organization of the church. Uh, he begins with the names of the church. Uh, then he goes into the head of the church and the headquarters of the church, and then organization. And then uh, he has here displayed a chart of the beginning of various denominations. I'll have that chart, and I'll include it. And what it is, is it has all the different denominations listed, and it has who started it and what year that it was started. And so that is very interesting for a lot of folks, because a lot of folks maybe have never even seen that. And when you look through all that, it really can pique, your, pique their interest. And so names and organizations of the church, is, again, is another uh, lesson that could take, you know, several studies. Uh, don't think that each lesson is it, that you have to cover, it, you know, one lesson per study because, you know, that could be a lot of material, especially if they have questions and things. And so just take your time. Because uh, you think about the names of the church, they may have some questions. Well, why do we have these other churches named such and such? You know, this, that, and the other. Well, what if they're not in the Bible? Is it about biblical name? Well, if you already talked about Bible authority, and you've already talked about uh, the one, the how the prophecies of the church uh, concerning you know who's going to build a church, Christ was. So, are, did they, Christ build these other churches? Well, no. And so, can, are they biblical? Are they scriptural names? Then no. And that right there, that's enough just to make people think, wow, I never thought about it that way. Because people don't many times think about it that way because it's really, in reality, I mean, it's that simple. Um, and then you look at the head of the church and headquarters of the church. You know, the Bible is, it's, and I think I've said this before, it's only difficult when man adds in his ideas and his theologies and his beliefs uh, sure, there's some verses we may have some trouble with. But, you know, that doesn't mean we can't find it out. 
You know, as we grow, what do we do? We, 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 we study, we ask questions, and, and we do word studies or whatever case may be, and we learn what those verses are, and we don't just allow them just to be those verses that we don't understand. So head of church and headquarters of the church, again, that's another interesting point you can be talking about for a while uh, because who do people think, who do a lot of people think the head of church is? The Pope. And so, and actually I just saw today where the, the Mormon church or the Mormon group is prophesying that the apocalypse will come on September, I believe it's September 28th is what I saw today. And so, uh, yeah, you know, how many times people try to predict different things? It's Anyway, and then we have organization, elders, deacons, evangelists, members. That's another interesting thing because who do people think a, a, the preacher is? Sometimes they call him the pastor. Well, he's not. Uh, and unless he has another pastor serving with him and that is another elder, then he's not a pastor. Uh, but we have, he talks about elders, he talks about deacons, he talks about evangelists, and he talks about members. And he, under members, he even has a, sex, a, a one point where he has here, vine, we, the branches. That is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. And next to him, parenthesis, he has, he has in its vine, comma, we, the branches. That is, Christ is the vine, we are the branches. That is, individually, not denominations. And then he has here displayed a chart of the beginning of various denominations. And he has a question below this, so that when people are looking at this chart, you can ask them this question. If it is different from the Bible, can it be the church of the Bible? And so he has, I mean, very, very common sense, very logical approach. Uh, but, you know, for some people it doesn't matter. But for some, uh, that's really going to make them think. If they're really interested in the truth, it's really going to get their mind going. Uh, the, his next lesson is on the worship of the church. And he begins with Matthew chapter uh, 15, verse 9. It says, Some worship is not acceptable to God. That's his point there. Uh, below that, John 4, verse 23 and 24. And then he has the five acts of worship. He has prayer, and he has some verses listed. He has Lord's Supper, some verses listed. Uh, preaching, some verses listed. Giving, verses listed. And then singing, and verses listed. So, and so he has the five acts, and he has verses showing where these things are taking place as part of worship. And then below all those things, he has Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. And he has that beside it, profane fire equals vain worship. Because we know what happened there. They tried to do worship in a way other than what God prescribed, other than what God commanded. It was profane or strange fire. And what happened? They, they died because they were not worshiping God. It is vain worship. It was... Uh, worship other than what God had commanded. And then his next lesson, he has one completely on sin. And, uh, and he, on some of these, he has he has uh, the aim of the lesson. And this one is to discuss sin and its consequences. Uh, he has who sins, and he has several verses listed. And then he has one section talking about do infants sin, because we know there are some today who believe that you are born sinful. And so he has the question, do infants sin? And below that, he has seven verses talking about, dealing with that topic of, can it, is it, has an infant sinned? Below that, number two, you have who, or he has what is sin? And he has uh, six verses uh, for that. And then below that, number three, he has what are the consequences of sin? He has four verses for that. And so you can see these are his who sins, what is sin, what are the consequences of it. 
that could be a very this is where things start getting really you might say affecting the heart of people and it's really i mean all this stuff is going to affect the heart of people if they're sincere i mean the lesson previous to this dealing with uh worship of the church and before that dealing with names organizations of church uh if they're interested almost i think every, i think every lesson could really prick the heart of a lot of people but sin i think also is really where he really i think this is really where things are really going to start picking up if people are interested this lesson on sin is going to really start getting them wondering if they are if they have obeyed according to the bible his next lesson is the purpose and the reason of Christ's coming. And he has here, uh, his aim of this lesson is to discuss the reasons, that, the reasons Christ came to the earth. Uh, the first one, he has two main points. First one is God is holy. And he has several scriptures there. And below that, he has only two conditions, saved or lost. You have, you have God and man. He, uh, he has righteousness and sin. He has eternal life and eternal death. He has saved and he has lost. And so we see that with God, there is righteousness. There is eternal life. There is uh, salvation. With man, that is man who is outside of Christ, there is sin. There is eternal death. There is being lost. Below that, his second main point is Christ came to reconcile man to God. And he has on several of these lessons he has verses in bold and maybe these are the verses he really wants to key in on and so but he has um seven verses here listed under christ came to reconcile man so again things are really starting to to pick up and now these last two lessons uh you notice he hasn't even got to salvation yet but he's building up to it all this is just building up to salvation and his next to last lesson is counting the cost and i think it's great that he has this before talking about salvation because before a person becomes decides they want to obey they need to know what it's going to cost them to be a christian we're not talking of course we're not talking about monetarily we're talking about what is it going to cost you in your life to become a faithful servant of god and his first point here is give up anything that will that would hinder. And he mentions Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, and talks about how Paul gave up anything that would hinder him. Uh, give up anything that will cause another another to stumble. In Matthew 18, verse 6, and he has here, and next to that he has an example, even dressing the wrong way would cause someone else to lust. And below that he has uh, some other verses as well. His third point was the right kind of work. And he talks. He mentioned Ephesians 4, verse 28. And he has a section taken out from Barnes' notes, which I think is good because he talks about, in this, uh, this quote, he talks about uh, how a person's job can affect not only themselves and their families, but also the example of others. And I'm just going to read the first line. It says here, Christians should have some useful and honest employment. They should work that which is good. They should pursue. They should not pursue an employment which will necessarily injure others. And he goes on and on talking about all these different things. But even our jobs can hinder us and hinder our influence. Below that, under the right kind of work, he has a second number, and it says drinking leads to crimes and people being put in prison. And so he begins because you know drinking and some other things, as you want to see in a moment causes a lot of problems so this is all included in with counting the cost if you want to obey christ 
Letter B below that, he has here another subpoint: selling or distributing anything that tempts others or produces worldly lust. And he has alcohol, and he has four verses listed under that. He has number two, he has example, a person delivers Playboy magazine but doesn't look at it himself. Well, does that look good? It's like a person who works in a beer factory or a brewery or whatever you want to call it. I mean, come on. People who work at gas stations, they sell, they sell tobacco, they sell alcohol. Or, you know, think about your example. Number four, set the right example. You notice it builds right up to that. Set the right example. He has two verses. Number five, he has produced the right fruit. What kind of fruit does your job produce? And then he has below that some questions to ask. Would, would Jesus have this as an occupation? And does this edify or encourage? Now, his last lesson, of course, is on salvation in Christ. And he simply has this chart. And you will, I will send it to you. And this chart is by um, Harvey Starling. And he's, he starts out with... Um, You'll notice he starts out with uh, lost in sin, and then he walks through the steps and talks about how you're in Christ. And he talks about all the blessings of being in Christ, uh, all blessings, forgiveness, salvation, all the blessings in Christ. You just walk them through. And how you go from being lost in sins, and you through obedience you come, you're placed in the body of Christ. Okay, that is our lesson this evening. Um, most of our lessons I know between have been, been between 30 and 45 minutes but I don't think there's any need to, to walk through every single point of all these things uh, because you're going to have the notes and if you, most of you, many of you who are in this class uh, I think if you're in this class you're probably a Christian but uh, I don't know who's, who all is watching and viewing so that's why I say that but uh, you're going to have these things so you can, walk, you can look through it more detailed so I'm not going to go through every single little point uh, because this isn't a Bible study. This is talking about conducting a Bible study. Okay, well, that is our class this evening. I